0: Father, once again, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for the truth of it. We're thankful for the fact that though men have tried to corrupt it over the years and have tried to bring in their own interpretations and have ignored what it says and have tried to uh, make it say what they want it to say, Father... A sincere student of the Bible is always going to come back to a simple fact, Father. We need to be taught by the Holy Spirit because we need to be spiritual so we can be taught. And then we need to simply take this word literally. We don't make up things, Father. It's far harder to make up things than it is to just accept what is said. Now, Father, we realize that sometimes people don't like what is said. But when that's the case, then we need to change our thinking, not change the Word of God. May we never be guilty of those who try to make the Word say what we want it to say, because then we're going to make mistakes, and we will lead others astray. Father, thank you for this time. May the Spirit of God be the teacher, and we're thankful for the things we heard last hour, and for the power of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, because without that, Father, we cannot be what we should be, and none of us ever will, unless the Holy Spirit fills us and makes that fruit evident in our lives. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this class. May this be a blessing to all, and may the Spirit be the teacher we ask in our Savior's name. Amen. Now, on our notes, we are incredibly, unexpectedly, I was thinking this was the last week. I was for certain this was the last week. So I said, well, I'm in good shape because I've got the bottom of page 12 and 13 and 14 to do. Well, it turns out I have two weeks, so if I go a page a week like I was doing at one point, then I'll be just fine. So... We are looking at the affairs of angels. We looked last week and we left you with the prophet Zechariah. And it was, it was fascinating with him. If you see those references there, where how many times you have in the English text, the angel that talked with me, and it's almost, it's almost the same every use in the Hebrew. The angel that talked with me. This man had these ten revelations in a period of about two years. Now, if you look at it, let's, let's take just a moment to look at Zechariah. We'll just pick up there because we didn't stop and look at this, and it would have been probably in our best interest to have done so. So, and look at Zechariah. If you look at Zechariah chapter 6, and the reason we're going to start there is because this is going to be the last time, this is the 10th time this this statement is recorded. And so let's see, chapter 6 and verse, let's see, what was it, verse 4, I believe I was looking for. Okay, let's see. Well, let's begin in verse one of chapter six, and I and I turned and lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, there came two chariots f- out from between two mountains, and the mountains were covered, and the mountains were mountains of brass. The first chariot, in the first chariot, were red horses, and in the second chariot, black horses, and in the third chariot, white horses, and in the fourth chariot, grizzled or speckled, gray-colored speckled. Horses and bay horses. Then I answered, then answered I and said unto the angel that talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said unto me, These are four spirits of the heavens that go forth from the standing before the Lord of all the earth. And now he's going to go on to tell you, they were walking around and they were looking at what was happening on the earth. They were reporting. So God, uh, when you read in the Old Testament in in the Psalms where it talks about the eyes of the Lord went to and fro throughout the earth, well, this is how it's done. You know, there isn't a pair of eyes that the Lord has it run all over the place. These are his ministers that he sends out, and they're pictured as horses. And so, now, this is the tenth time. And so, in chapter 7, verse 1, it says, It came to pass in the fourth year of King Darius that the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah in the fourth day of the ninth month. So, you have the fourth day of the ninth, you have the, the fourth year. And back in the, in the first chapter... The first time gets, Zachariah gets a vision is on in chapter one, verse seven, it says, the four and twentieth day of the eleventh month in the second year in, in the, the month of Sabbat in the second year of Darius. So it's just two it's about two months and twenty days short of being two full years. So this is unusual, and, and it's something that's worth looking at. That he had ten revelations. From the, apparently from the same angel, in two years. Now that's, that's, that I don't think anybody else could ever boast that. I mean, that would be, that would be something. So the angel that talked with me keeps saying the angel, and that's unusual too because that's not used anywhere else. The angel that talked with me over and over, which gives you the impression that he was talked to by the same angel, and he was brought revelation. Now, we're going to talk more about that a little bit later, but he brought revelation ten times in not quite two years. Now, going on from there, we can say that some of the activities of angels, they monitor and report on the affairs of human government and in administering judgment from God. Now, we we just, this, this section about bringing revelation, we could have put other things in there, like Daniel 9 would have been a perfect example, too, of God bringing revelation, where the, the 77s were explained to Daniel. That's another illustration we could have put in here, and I suppose you could include that, but... We also see that, that they monitor and report on affairs of human government. Now, you know, we saw, and what, what Pastor said is true, that the Holy Spirit is not restraining evil. But that doesn't mean that God's not paying attention to what's going on. That doesn't mean that God doesn't know what's going on. Because angels and the bureaucratic administration of God, and we use bureaucracy or bureaucratic, in not, a, not in a bad sense, although... It's awful hard to use that word without it sounding bad, isn't it? I mean, just bureaucratic. But in God's arrangement of government, he uses angels, and they do monitor what's going on. They do administer judgment, and they can even serve as the power behind the throne. Now, in Ezekiel 28, you have the the classic example of that, only this is a little bit unusual because it's not just an angel that's behind the throne that's pulling the strings, it's fascinating. I wonder what these people in government, just to step aside from what do you suppose these people in government would think if you told them, you're really not in charge. You're really not. In, you think you're running things. You're really not in charge because there's somebody pulling the strings behind you that's making you do what you want. And you don't even know it. And Boy, I, I could just I could just see some of those people in government. We have that, I'm the president. I'm this. They they could get a dose of humility if they ever knew the truth. But so, in Ezekiel 28, you have have the fascinating section that starts off with talking to the prince of Tyrus. But now, this is not a spirit being. You'll notice that this isn't a spirit being. Now, when you get down a little bit, king of Tyrus is a spirit being. But the prince of Tyrus is not. And you'll see, you notice it says in verse 1 of Ezekiel 28, The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, Say to the prince of Tyrus, now you notice prince, but you're going to see that this is actually the king, but he's not really the king. The prince of Tyrus, thus saith the Lord God, because your heart is lifted up and you've said, I'm a god. And now you notice this is I'm a god. There's no indefinite article, it's I am God in Hebrew. There's nothing, the Hebrew, like Greek, does not have an indefinite article like ah. It has a definite article, and if it doesn't have a definite article, then it just says, "I'm God," and and I sit in the seat of God, in the midst of the seas. Yet you are but a, you are a man, and not God, though you set your heart as the heart of God. Behold, you're wiser than Daniel. There's no secret they can hide from thee. Now, here you see arrogance. Listen to listen to that with thy wisdom and thine understanding you've gotten the riches and has gotten gold and silver and thy treasures by the traffic by thy great wisdom and by thy traffic you've increased your riches and your heart is lifted up because of your riches wow well if we go back in history Tyre was a merchant city and they were quite wealthy they did very well and they they lived a pretty good life there but now you'll notice as he comes as he goes on and Uh, Let's keep on reading verse 6. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because you set your heart as the heart of God, behold, therefore I will bring strangers unto thee, the terrible of the nations. And it turns out that's going to be ultimately, I believe that'll be Babylon will come. And they shall draw swords against the beauty of your wisdom. They shall defile thy brightness. They shall bring thee down to the pit. And you shall die the deaths of them that are slain in the midst of the sea. Will you say there? Will you yet say before him that slays thee? I'm God, but you shall be a man and no god in the hand of him that slays thee. So here's the man. Now this is this is the king. Why is he called prince? Well, because if you keep on reading, look what it says, verse twelve. Son of man, set up a take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. Ah, here's the power, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. You've been in Eden, the garden of God, every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, the topaz, and the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, and the jasper, and the sapphire, and the emerald, and the carbuncle, and, the, and gold, and the workmanship of your tabrets, and of your pipes, was prepared in thee in the day you were created." You are the anointed cherub that overshadows. I don't like covers. It's really overshadows. I have, I have set thee so you were in the mountain, you walked, you was. The, you were upon the mountain, the holy mountain of God, and you've walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in thee. So here's the power behind the throne. Now this is interesting because we're going to find, and you'll find in Daniel and other places, there are Kings and princes spoken of that are not humans, that they're spirit beings. They stand behind a throne, they pull the strings of power. And so a lot of what goes on in our world system, don't be too surprised. If it's going the way it is, and you say, Well, how can how could everything be moving towards a one-world government when it's all oh, so fragmented? It's because those people that are leaders that are sitting on the thrones of nations, they're not really in charge. Behind the strings the strings are being pulled, and all they're waiting for is for the man of lawlessness to be revealed. The Holy Spirit will be taken out of the way when we're gone. That's all they're waiting for. Everything is So don't be surprised. It will move very quickly. You say, how can it all move that fast? It's because humans aren't doing it. Because if it was up to, if it was up to men, uh, I marvel, they cannot do things. You know, when you look at some of the things that have happened in recent time, you can see where probably Satan was behind it. Some of the things that happened in elections when, when uh, Donald Trump was elected. Now, I'm not getting into politics, but I am going to say this. There was so much rage, so much... I've never seen so much hatred and anger. Now, why? Because behind the throne, behind the scenes, there was someone who was convinced the other person was going to win. He was pulling the strings to try and push it toward the one world government. And if you go on the internet and check it out, You'll find out what they they will say publicly. It is on the internet. You can find out what is stopping the world government. This country right here. This country right here. So why would Satan be just furious? Because here's somebody make America great again. Now, I'm not getting into politics. I'm not, you know, I may be for him, but that's not the point. The point is that that was not what Satan wants. Satan does not want this country to be great. He wants a one-world government, and to do that, you've got to get this big name right here, America. You've got to push it aside and bring it down. And so Satan was counting on that. So that rage, when you see Satan at work, there was a rage. I have never seen rage like that. Now, I, I don't know about you folks. I, can't, I can get mad at someone, and I can't hold it very long. Some people can stay angry, and they can, stay, they can hold that anger for a long time. I, I, I can't. I can't do it. But have you ever seen someone who could hold a fury and an anger for three or four years straight and have that vitriol, that hatred? You tell me that that wasn't what happened in that last election in 2016. Like I said, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to get into politics. But I'm just saying that you can see behind the scenes someone was pulling the strings and had counted his chickens before they were hatched. And God decided, nope, not this time, Satan. And the rage that was there. And why do you suppose that rage is still there? Because this man, if he's reelected, he poses a threat to the one world government. You know, it's not that Donald Trump is a, is a hero or is a saint or anything of the sort. He is simply somebody that Satan doesn't want there because he is not cooperating with what Satan wants to do. Now, you know, you'll notice that in this one case, this, this is the only time that Satan is personally put in charge of, a, or is personally stated to be in charge of a kingdom. And so I think the involvement of Satan, this is point number six in the bottom of 12, I think the involvement of Satan, that him being personally involved indicates that this is a job too big and too important for him to trust to anyone else. You know, sometimes you have to have the big man out there and... You know, you can sometimes you can delegate things. But if you've, if you've ever been in charge of a business or anything of the sort, there are going to be those times when you're going to say, I don't want this to go wrong. I'm going to take care of it. Now, and that, that does happen. Now, I think you can see another illustration of this. And I want to take just a moment to do this. I want you to look over Luke chapter 22. Now, we know we know for a fact, we know that... Judas Garrett was not a believer. We know he was an unsaved man. It's very clear from scripture what he what he did. But now, as an unsaved man, he could have done this on his own. He could have decided to, to betray Jesus on his own. The reason he betrayed Jesus, by the way, do you know what it was? If you put it together in scripture, I, I'm not prepared to show you at the moment because I can't remember all the points. And, and I did, did some work on it, and I shared in prayer meeting actually a couple years ago. But the reason that Judas went and be, to, to betray Jesus was because that money that was, that woman that broke the, Mary broke the, the ointment, the spikenard, or whatever, it was frankincense. And they said it was 300, it was worth 300 denarii. That was a year's wages because a denarii a day was a wage. That was a whole year's wages. That'd be like forty thousand dollars now. I think the annual average income's like forty thousand or something like that. So here, here the guy that kept the safe, that kept the money bag, who was said it says in, in John twelve, he was a thief. Forty thousand dollars slipped through his fingers. Why do you think he betrayed Jesus? That, is because when you piece it together, right after that happened. You piece together the gospel accounts. Right after that happened, he went, to this, he went to the Jews and said, What will you give me if I deliver him to you? So tell me why he did it. 40,000 bucks. That's what the Savior was worth to him. Actually, got three pieces of silver, or 30 pieces of silver for $40,000 that he lost. 300 denarii, he wound up with 30, uh, not much of a trade off there, is it? But you'll notice in verse 3 of Luke 22. Well, let's start at verse 1. Now, the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Now, you notice they feared the people. That, that's surprising. Then Satan entered into Judas, named Iscariot, being one of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the priests and the captains how he might, be, how he might betray him. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. So to, just to get him to go, Satan could, Satan could have sent a demon, or Satan could have trusted him on his own, but the fact that Satan didn't indicates that though he was offended, he might not have followed through on it. Iscariot, Judas Iscariot might not have followed through, and Satan says, this job is too big for anybody else. I'm going to take care of it. Now, that's bad enough, but do you know if you look at John chapter 13... After he's already agreed with them. He's already agreed with them. But now to set the ball in motion, Satan's going to come again. Beginning of verse 21 of John 13. Well, we should go for verse 20. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit, and said, verily, verily, there you have it again, amen, amen, which has the effect of saying, I believe, I believe, or let's put it in our, our terminology, it's an absolute fact. It's an undisputable fact. I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked on one another, doubting of whom he spoke, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask, that he should ask of, whom it was, of whom he spoke. Now when he, was lay, he then laying on Jesus' breast said, Lord, who is it? Now stop there for a moment. Judas must be very close. John is leaning on his breast. And so notice what happens. Pay attention to this. This is very important. Jesus said, is he to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it? And when he dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, stop for a moment. John is leaning on his breast, and he dips a sop, and he hands it to somebody. Now, if he was as tall as I am, look, I've got about a three-foot reach. Well, I could reach to the person on my right hand, if he's leaning against my chest. Or I might be able to reach over top of this person, but that would be kind of hard. So I'd probably go to my right. So if John was on the left side, he handed it to somebody on his right who happened to be Judas Iscariot. What do we know about the right hand? His favorite place. We know that Peter was, Peter was across the room. Peter had to beckon across the room to the John leaning on his breast and say, who is it? Find out who it is. <laughs> so would anybody have expected that, that, that Judas was the betrayer? When he was in, he, if John was on the right hand leaning on his breast, then he would have been on the left, and it still would have been the right and left. Those are the favorite places. So no matter how you cut it, he was in the most favorite or the second most favorite. He had to be because Jesus, John's leaning up against him. He dips a sop. You don't stand up with someone laying on you. It doesn't say that John got off of him, it just said he dipped a sop and handed it to him. Now, if you go back to John 22, or Luke 22, you'll find out that right after this is said, the disciples start bickering about who's the greatest again. And that's why, that's why they get, when they gave the sop, but verse 27 and verse 28, after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus said, that you do, do quickly. or That what you're doing, do faster. And it was, it's, it's the word taxus, we get taxi from this. It's the English word taxi, comes right out of the word quickly. But now notice verse 28. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. Now if you don't put Luke 22 in here and see that after Jesus said this, the controversy broke out again at the Last Supper. Who was the greatest? What a terrible time for that. I mean, it was bad enough they did it in the first place, but here they start bickering. As soon as he said he's going to be betrayed, the disciples are bickering about, well, I wouldn't do it. I'm one of the greatest. Next thing you know, when the sop is given to Judas, I do know what that's all about. You see what they missed? Boy, I'll tell you what, sticking status doesn't usually do you a lot of good. But now in verse 27, then after the sop, Satan entered into him. Now, why would Satan do it a second time? He entered him the first time. Verse 27 of John 13. Did I, I'm sorry, did I not make that clear? So back oh, back, uh, back to uh, back in Luke twenty two. Yeah, what I was looking for in Luke twenty two, and I was trying not to go there uh, and, and bog down too much. But uh, when you get back in Luke twenty two, okay. you find out. Um, let's see. It yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> let's see. Um, okay. It was in Luke 22. oh were they were there at the last They're let's see than than oh yeah okay yeah 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 let's see um, um, took the cup up. As saying, in verse 22 of 22 truly the son of man goes as it is determined but woe the man which he's betrayed verse 23 of Luke 22 and they began to inquire among themselves who should do this thing verse 24 here's the key and there was a strife among them which should be accounted the greatest. So now you put those verses in, and when you go back to John 13, you put that in somewhere around verse 24, 25, 26 of the 13th chapter, and you see that when Jesus handed to Solomon and said, what you're doing, do it quicker. They've already forgotten because they've been bickering about who's the greatest. And so they missed, they missed the whole thing. They missed the whole thing. But now... The question still remains, why would Satan enter him a second time? He already got him to go betray. Well, if Satan entered him a second time, my belief, my guess is, that number one, Satan's not going to leave it to anybody else. He's going to make sure. And number two, he probably does not think that this man is going to follow through. He might weasel out of it. He's he's in a favored place. He's looked up to. He might have had a change of mind, a change of heart. We know in the 27th chapter of, of Matthew... You find out in verse 3, right afterwards, he regrets what he did. It says repent, but if you look, at, you look at it in interlinear, it's the word for regret. He does regret what he did later. So that makes me think that the reason Satan entered was because he wouldn't have done it. So you, you think about control that Satan can have, that his spirit, they can control a person, they can control a whole city. So just imagine what they can do to a person. So just an interesting little bit there that we have time to look at is... This is how much power Satan has, that he took this man, and page, we'll go on to page 13. He didn't even allow this man a chance to change his mind. Now, afterwards, he did regret. Now, so we see Daniel chapter 10. Let's go back there. That's at the bottom of page 12. I jumped too soon. In Daniel chapter 10, it, through verses 5 through 13, and then verse 20, you can see, that angels are definitely involved in human government. Now, it's interesting that both fallen and unfallen are there. You know, you might think, well, only the good angels are there. Well, no, we saw Satan was involved. We're going to find demons are involved. And so, but beginning at the 5th, now this, this is quite, quite a complicated section, so we're just going to jump into verse 5, and, and uh, we just have to break into the context. It's just too involved to go through all of it. It says, "Then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose whose loins were girded with fine gold of of Ufaz. His body was like beryl, and his face was the appearance of lightning, and his eyes were like lamps of fire, and his arms were like and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass. and a, And the voice of his words was like the voice of a multitude. Now that's not another man. That's that's definitely a spared being. And I and I, Daniel." alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone, and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. And behold, a hand touched me, Which set me upon my knees and upon the palm of my hands, and he said unto me, "O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to thee, and stand upright, for now unto thee I am sent." And when he spoke, when he had spoken this word to me, I stood trembling, and he said unto me, "Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou hast set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before God, thy words were heard, and I am and I am come for thy words." Now notice. But the princes of of the kingdom of Persia, or rather the prince of the kingdom of Persia, withstood me twenty-one days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now, stop there for a moment. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood this messenger. So who was this prince? He was obviously a fallen angel, wasn't he? He withstood this angel. So he was a prince. But then it says... The kings of Persia, he, they came to help. Michael came to help him, And then he, then this messenger stayed, said, I stayed with the kings of Persia. Now, who were they? There wasn't but one king at a time on the throne. They didn't have multiple kings. So evidently, there were good angels that were also there. This is an interesting thing. You have good angels there that are the kings. And you have a fallen one, at least one, that's a prince. So what kind of a tension would you have there? I'm not sure how to. Rec- I'm not sure how you reconcile that, except to say this is what happened: that they were involved in the government, and so uh, that might that might account for the fact that there were some decisions that government made, that that the uh, your uh, Babylonians and, and Persians made that were somewhat moral, somewhat decent, and some that weren't so good. So you had a mix of both. So I can't explain it beyond saying that you have both here, but you can see you have. The kings, it's got to be more, than, so that must be, remember that you have principalities and powers that are the fallen angels. So if you have princes that were from that group and you have kings, then my guess is you have thrones and dominions. One, some of them are there. So it, it really opens up a lot of things that we uh, probably we don't think about, but maybe maybe we should. Maybe we should. So the description, you'll notice the bottom page 12, the description is an unnamed Uh, unnamed uh, angel. But I suspect it must be Gabriel because it said Michael came to help him. So the prominent angels in Daniel have been Michael and Gabriel. So if Michael came to help him and this was a splendid angel, he was a pretty high-ranking angel. He must have been up there. If he wasn't the archangel, he must have been awful close to it because he was a splendid angel with a voice like a multitude. A description like that is not given to the lower class of angels. He's got to be a, a, a throne or dominion either one or the other. So, on top of page 13, the angel contended 21 days with the prince of Persia, a demon. And so, after leaving he, the demon, it said he, look at verse 20. He, then he said, no, know you therefore, know, knowest thou wherefore I come to thee, and now I will return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I'm gone forth, the prince of Greece shall come. So now he's going to go fight with two more, so... The prince of Greece and the prince of Persia, who are these? These are demons that are standing behind the rulers. And so it's, it's amazing. People in government think they really run the show. Boy, they don't know. They don't know. I imagine if you had the, had the opportunity to go up to one of our leaders, or congressmen, senators, or the president, and say, you know, you really aren't in charge. You really don't pull the strings. Oh, you think you do, but you really don't. I wonder what they would say. No, I don't know. Would you, Pastor, would you be one to one, try and do that? <laughs> no, I might, I might try that on a, on a good day, but <laughs> I'd probably be in jail. But so so this angel spent times with, with the kings of Persia after Michael helped him. So you, there's no question that these principalities and powers, they were... The, they were The princes that you see, the fallen angels were princes, and then the kings that you see were, in Persia were undoubtedly the good angels, because only the lower angels fell, and so they were the princes. But the kings were the good ones. So you have good angels and bad angels standing behind. So uh, God is in more control. You know, people, so often I think we as believers take the notion that things are out of control are they really out of control? You know, we know that from the New Testament, but you go back in the Old Testament, to me it's interesting that the Old Testament makes a very clear case for the fact that God is in control. Now even though the demons do what they want to do, remember something about the demons. They have to report to God. Can they tempt? Could, in the Old Testament, could Satan tempt Job without permission? Hmm. You read Job 1 and 2. He had, God said you can go this far and no further. And he had to ask to do that. You go this far, no further. Now, do you suppose that these wicked spirits that are behind government, do you suppose they can just do whatever they want to? No. No. So, it's rather, it's really interesting when you look at it and you say, is God actually in control? Should we be worried? No. No. I admit I admit I don't like it. I admit and I I confess that I have stopped listening to political stuff. I stopped watching it because I got so upset with the last election, with the things that happened and all the allegations of corruption and everything else. I I just, I couldn't take it. And I stopped listening. But one thing I do know, regardless of how I might have felt, I know God's in control. I don't have to worry about it. You know, and, I, and I've I've given God lots of advice, but you know I, I like that I like that saying that God listens to prayers, not advice. And I've given God so much good advice. Well, you know what my advice would be worth. So, so number seven on page thirteen. Therefore, the princes in Daniel 10, the, in Daniel ten that the angel was fighting were demons because they were of lower rank. They were principalities and powers. And when you see kings, those would have to be thrones and dominions. And there were the kings in Persia that were there. And there may be others. And we're not told. We're just not told enough to know specifics beyond the fact that there were princes that stood behind the throne. Are they still there today? I have every, I have every confidence they are. Because remember, who owns this world system? And remember what he said in Luke chapter 4? It's important. Look at Luke chapter 4. If you have any doubt about this, you know, people say this is my father's world. And uh, I, uh, I wrote a, a poem and stuck it on Facebook. I said, is this my father's world? And I detailed some th- reasons why, <laughs> in poetic fashion, why this isn't when you look at the things that are going on. Uh, is it my father's world? Well, ultimately it is, but uh, is it his world right now? <coughs> well, when Satan tempts... Uh, Look at uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 5. Just two verses. And the devil, taking him up to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Can you imagine that? And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give to thee, and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. Now, who owns the system then? So you think he's still standing behind... Governments today, do you think he has demons out there behind different places? Guaranteed. I'll bet you every bureau in Washington, D.C. has a demon standing behind it making the decisions. I guarantee it. I may be wrong, but if I am, you can tell me after the rapture and I'll apologize. Boy, if that were the case, we had to apologize for all the mistakes we made, Pastor. Just think how long we could spend up there doing that. We could spend all seven years of the tribulation making right for that. Well, so you'll notice angels, and this is on uh, page 13, angels monitor and report on the conduct of kings, rulers, and nations and have been involved in carrying out judgment upon kings and nations. Now, this is fascinating. If you go back to Daniel chapter 4, uh, this, this is amazing. Now God could do it, you know. People, I mean, it, this is the same thing. You know, you think about the idea about guardian angels protecting believers. Well, you know, when you look at the fact that what angels can do to unbelievers, why wouldn't they be involved in the life of believers? The same kind of way, of protection and heavy involvement. But back in Daniel chapter four, beginning at verse thirteen, I then I I saw in my in the visions of my head upon my bed. And behold, a watcher and a holy one came down from heaven. And he cried aloud and said "And said thus, Hew down the tree and cut off the branches, shake off the leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get away from under it and let the fowls from his, bran- and, and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of the roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass, in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let its portion be with the beasts of the earth. Uh, with the beast of the earth, in the grass, uh, let it be with the beast in the grass of the earth. There we go. Let his heart be changed from man's, and let a beast's heart be given unto him, and let and let seven times pass over him. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and by demand of the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and sets over it the basest of men. I thought Satan said he could set up who he wanted on it. Yeah, he can, with permission. You see it again. You know, Satan, we think Satan's got... You think Satan's got a free reign on things. You look at a verse like this, you say, wait a minute. God is the one that ultimately does it. God allows Satan to do it. Satan's got to get permission to do any of these big things. Now, be careful when it says the basest of men. uh, You know, that... I, I checked that out in Hebrew... And I, I, what I really would like it to say is what it sounds like it says. The lowest, the most riffraff, scumbag people. That's not what the word means. It means the most humble. It means just ordinary people. God just sets up ordinary people. These guys, that get up and they think that they're there because they're somebody special. No, God says he sets up the most, the most humble of men. And really, when you get right down to it, what made the Apostle Paul great he was, a he was no, what made him great? The Holy Spirit enabled him, he gave him a gift, he worked in his life. he, he was a, he was an enemy of the church. Was he a great man on his own? No, he wasn't. no, he wasn't. And the man of sin, and, and, the, and the pastor said, and he said something and I think was interesting, he said, there's always somebody ready to be the man of sin. Satan's already got somebody there. You say, well, is there always an IQ? You're looking for a guy with an IQ of a 500? You know, well, what, what Pastor said about Samson, I think, was funny. Would you say he was like Pee-wee Herman when the Spirit did? He said he was like Pee-wee Herman when the Holy Spirit didn't come upon him. Now, what are we saying? The, a man of lawlessness is always in the wings. Why? Because where's he going to get his power from? Is he going to be there because he was great? Well, if you read Revelation 13, you find out that he gets his power and authority from Satan. So Satan, so when you see it says here that that, they, that God sets up over at the basis the most humble of men, it's true. The man of lawlessness is not going to be a genius when he comes along. He's going to have Satan's power and authority. Now, that may make him into a genius, but he didn't start that way. He won't start that way. And he could be just about anybody, just about anybody. I suspect he's somebody that's in government that's well-known. But he doesn't have the ability to rule the world. And Satan's going to take somebody. And that's why it could be at any time. That's why we don't have to wait for a certain moment. We say, oh, well, the rapture can't be now because there's nobody, there's no great person over here for Satan to use. That's that's not true. That's not true. Just remember Revelation 13 where it talks about that Satan is going to give him his power and his throne. And that's going to make the man great. So it's not going to be... So anyway, what's interesting here is that uh, if you go back in the fourth chapter, we should have probably read back further because there was a dream that came and the dream was, was uh, interpreted by Daniel and he, he was told the dream and of course you can see it if you read verse 9 down through about verse 13 and then you get into the interpretation of it and so you find out that, well, this is what God said he was going to do to this man. But you'll notice who it was that, that mentioned it. Now, the, the God is ultimately responsible for carrying out the judgment, I know that. But God always used instruments. The same way as when I believed the gospel, well, the Holy Spirit was the one that convicted me. But was the Holy Spirit the one that told me the gospel? No, God used a human agent to deliver the words of the gospel to me. And behind the scenes, the Holy Spirit... Gave me the faith to believe. But he used an instrument. But by the same token, to carry this judgment out. Now you couldn't, see, obviously they don't see the angel. But you'll notice it says, this matter, verse 17, is by decree of the watchers and demand of the word of the holy ones. Now it and also says back, um, before that it talks about in verse 13, where Daniel says, or the, Daniel's told, I saw in a vision Visions of my head upon my bed. Behold, a watcher and an holy one. Now, I put in your notes, that sounds like it could be more than one being. But the Hebrew text doesn't, doesn't make two angels. It's Really, you'll notice this is down under point C, two with, uh, with the in parentheses there. The Hebrew text doesn't mean two angels. It's a watcher is a noun in the Hebrew, and a holy one is an adjective. So it's really, you could just put it in English, it's a holy watcher, is what it was. So it's just one angel. Because I always thought there's two angels. I thought, well, you got two angels coming down, and one is the throne, and one's a dominion, or something. No, it's just just one angel. So whoever this angel was, we're not told, but it's there's only one angel involved, and it should be translated as a holy watcher. So a single angel came down and, and carried out this judgment. <laughs> And it was like it, it appears that there was a legal process. Really, when you look at it, doesn't it seem like there's a legal process because the the uh, verse seventeen. Notice the statements there. This matters by decree of the watchers and demand of the word of the holy ones. So it sounds like there was a court decision made here amongst spirit beings. Now I don't know that that's true, but it certainly gives that impression. I, I can't I can't say beyond what I see here, but it certainly sounds like there was a legal decision. That to, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High rule in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever he will and sets up over it the humblest or basest of men. So it's a legal decision. And so now this man is taken out of, out of his place of authority. And so this happens to him. And, he, and this, is, this is one of the most intriguing stories in the Old Testament of a king. Do you realize that he was a beast for seven years? And yet, after that when, it, when he was restored, his people took him back. Could you imagine doing that? I mean, would that happen today in our government you know i don 't think so just, that's a, when you when you read through this book, you find out he was taken back, and he had even more glory afterwards. But actually, he became a much more humble man after that. And in fact, he said to the most high, likely he could have been he could have been a believer because if you go back to the to the Uh, first part of the fourth chapter, let's look at what Nebuchadnezzar said. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is reporting this in a letter. So what we did is we read part of a a letter, what he said and what the angel said. But you go back to the beginning of the fourth chapter. Nebuchadnezzar the king, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God of heaven hath wrought toward me. Okay, so he's high God of heaven. So he's already, if he's if he believes in more than one God, he says the high God. This is the this is the top one. How greater is science, and how mighty are his wonders? His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his genera- his dominion is from generation to generation. So, what does that sound like? Does that sound like maybe he's changed his opinion about who God is? Well, let's keep on reading. I Nebuchadnezzar was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace and I had a dream and it troubled me let's see um, uh, let's see I think it's toward the end of the chapter where he says uh, uh, no he does say that he's changed his mind uh, well there was more than that uh, Okay, 30, 34 I had to skip down far enough let's see yeah, verse, okay, then verse 33, 34. Then the same hour the thing was fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men, did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. At the end of the days, it's the end of seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes into heaven, and mine understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that lives forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand, or say unto him, What doest thou? Now, and then verse 37. Now I Nebuchadnezzar praise and extol the High King of Heaven and all 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 whose works are truth and his way in his ways judgment and those that walk in pride he's able to abase. Now you read verse thirty four. Does this sound like this man? You you might think it was a prophet speaking. You might think this was from Isaiah or Jeremiah, but this is the words of this man. Was he a believer? I suspect he became a believer a Gentile believer in the Old Testament. It wouldn't be the first time. I think Cyrus is another one. If you look a little bit later, Cyrus uh, seemed to have a relationship and, a thoughts, and thoughts toward God, and he had a high regard for the God of Israel. So I suspect here you can see this single man. So we're, we're going to stop here and we'll come back to uh, Zechariah's observing of the nations, or the observance of the nations that angels will do.